Today's episode is brought to you by Alliance Aviation. Whether your mission is flying in style to any of the circuits on this year's Formula One calendar or simply traveling for business, Alliance's team of aviation professionals is ready to get you from point A to point B. When you fly with Alliance as a charter customer, we deliver superior aircraft, fair pricing, and no long-term commitments. And right now, we have an ongoing promotion to save you 5% on all jet cards. Normally, a jet card can cost you $6,500 per flight hour, but when you use promo code POINTS, you can save over $8,000 per jet card. Use promo code POINTS and fly to the Formula One circuits in style at fly.flyalliance.us slash points. Welcome back to the In The Points podcast, the fastest growing Formula One podcast on the globe. We are live following the Canadian Grand Prix where the entirety of the grid was shaken up during qualifying due to some wet weather conditions. Fernando Alonso started alongside Max Verstappen on the front row for the first time in a decade, while Charles Leclerc had to start from the back of the grid due to an engine penalty. The race was shaping up to come down to the last few laps as a result of multiple virtual safety cars and an actual safety car with 16 laps to go, but Verstappen was able to defend well against the barrage of Ferrari charges from Carlos Sainz while his teammate had to watch from the pit walls. Verstappen took his seventh win of the year while Lewis Hamilton returned to the podium, while the final 15 15 laps overshadowed Charles Leclerc's beautiful 19 to 5th drive. Listen in as we talk Red Bull reliability concerns, Ferrari charging forward, Mercedes hopes for Silverstone, and much, much more. All of that plus we have some listener emails. Let's go racing. to the In The Points podcast, the fastest growing Formula One podcast on the globe, the only podcast growing at the speed of Formula One. We are here live following the Canadian Grand Prix at the Circuit de Gilles Villeneuve for the recap of the Canadian Grand Prix, where Max Verstappen took his 26th career win and his seventh win of the 2022 season, and Ferrari did well to limit the damage. I'm your host, Matt Dottiel. Joined, as always, with me is Sam DRS Russell and Stefano, the tech expert, Sedano. Guys, welcome back. Thanks, Matt. Damage was limited this weekend. Good stuff. Excited to dive in. As am I. Let's row, row, row the boat down the canal of chat. Yeah, uh, guys. Uh, crazy race. A little bit, uh, you know, kind of shook the field up. Let's start with uh, the fact that qualifying was incredibly wet. It was wet tires, intermediate tires. We saw, you know, Consistent drivers like Checo Perez going off track. We saw Charles Leclerc not even going out for Q2. He was taking an, uh, an engine penalty this weekend, so he wasn't. He was starting from the back of the grid anyway. The entire field shooken up, but the most incredible storyline for the starting grid was the fact that Stefano, your favorite driver or one of your favorite drivers, Fernando Alonso, first time in a decade starting on the front row, 
he had been it had been so long the last time he was on the front row i think i saw uh 15 of the current formula one drivers weren't even in formula one yet so great for your guy to be back starting alongside uh the the newest great max verstappen yeah dude honestly during qualifying i was on the edge of my seat because i didn't think i didn't think fernando was going to be able to pull it off until the very very end uh when it was solidified and i was very happy to see it uh like you said last time he qualified in the front row i i was but a wee lad um you know back uh cheering for him when he was back at ferrari um so yeah very happy for fernando um you know a little bit disappointing how everything transpired throughout the rest of the the, the weekend but you know it's good to see him back fighting near the top at least during qualifying hopefully for the rest of the season he can translate that into uh some more race base yeah, Sam, we thought the Alpines, they looked freaking quick all weekend long uh, through FP1, FP2, FP3. They looked like they were going to be rivaling, you know, Mercedes, maybe even getting close up to a podium position. And then race day, it just kind of, it all kind of like, you know, the row, row, row your boat. It was like Humpty Dumpty. It kind of came crashing down. And like, that was the story of their weekend. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm honestly not that surprised that... Checo, I mean, um, that Alonso ended up on the front row because, you know, he's, he's had a couple of great qualifying sessions, uh, this season so far. And even that one where he looked destined for, for the front row before he crashed. So he's kind of was due for something like this. Um, I guess, especially when you, uh, counter the fact that he hadn't been on the front row in what, like 10 years, something like that. Yeah. So, um, I wasn't that surprised he was due. And all we kept hearing was Alpine's race pace is elite. And I was excited to see that in action. It just didn't happen. So I don't know if that was like a a car issue, like some sort of reliability issue. I think I heard towards the end of the race, Alonso was dealing with some sort of engine issue or power issue. So yeah, I heard that too. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, I guess, kind of a bummer because it would have been fun seeing uh, him and Akon fighting for the podium there. Um, But they obviously weren't really even close. I'll yeah, tell you what I mean, would have been fun is uh Fernando really attacking Max at the first corner like you said he was at the end of qualifying. He even wasn't even the camera too. No, he got a really bad start. Yeah, uh, he got a really start. That track if you are sitting on pole, it's uh it's a short run down to turn run. So, to turn one, excuse me. So, historically, it's very hard for the the driver on the second row to make a move because it's just too short of a of a run down there versus like a Spain or an Australia where it's a much longer straight. That yeah, was the most clear start. That was the most clear we've seen the person uh on pole get through turn one of this season so far. Absolutely. Like, it was I think the only time we've seen it like not really be close like that was that was a joke start by alonso and honestly um signs to start really wasn't that great either no. so oh, he almost got caught up by hamilton they kind of just like laid down to max which was a which was a bummer because i i was excited to see that first turn hoping that um you know alonso smelled some blood and would get off the line quick but he just he didn't at all you know one more funny thing said, i want to mention say- Matt, sorry. One more thing I want to mention is uh, Sebastian Vettel in FP3. I think he was up near the top too. He was in like, I think P1 or P2 at FP3 at the end of FP3. Then all of a sudden, his pace went away for qualifying. I don't know what happened there. Big disappointment. Yeah, Big disappointment. I was really he hoping he would get in the the top ten. 
he forgot that he had the radio on too. Uh, he said, what the F are you guys, are we doing here? And then he had to apologize to his team because he thought he had turned the radio off. And he's like, oh, sorry, guys. I thought the radio was off. So he, he showed some frustration with his team that he accidentally meant to. But back to Alpine for a second, Sam. You said you want to see them competing a little bit more and they weren't that quick. It's funny, though. Like They were, they were sixth and seventh. They were behind the Red Bull, both Ferraris and Mercedes. So... Best of the rest, if you take away those top three teams, they weren't bad. But Alonso, another five-second penalty. But before we get to the Alonso penalty, which has been a long time coming because he has been all over the place lately, the, the Alpine was was damn quick. They Outside the top three teams, Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, they were the next one. They were sixth and seventh ahead of both Alfa Romeos, ahead of both McLarens, both Aston Martins, both Alphataris. Like... Alpine, yes. Did uh, did we think that they would be competing for a podium, and that's why you meant they were going to be quicker than that? Hundred percent. But like the Alpine's pretty quick. Yeah. No. Don't get me wrong. They were quick. But uh, based off of what we saw in qualifying and in practice, you were thinking that they were going to be ahead of Mercedes, and they weren't. So that was kind of where the disappointment came from. I didn't. I didn't really expect Alonso to win the race. Yeah. But I did expect him to finish ahead of both. Mercedes based off of what I saw uh, leading into Sunday or even ahead of the Ferrari of Charles Leclerc starting yeah, in P19 and right. he's up on the on sure. the front row and it's P19 what a, great drive. what a great drive yeah granted you you chuck some of that up or chuck some of that up to a little bit of the safety car at the end but still you're starting P2 and the Ferrari of Charles Leclerc is starting P19 and you still get passed by him. Like it just shows you a, how quick the Ferrari is, but like Alpine, come on guys, you had a full head start and you couldn't hold on to that position. Um, it's, it's just, it's a damn shame. But Alonso after the race, five second time penalty, I think he was weaving on the straights. I mean, guys, it's funny because we, we keep talking about him. He's been, Doing some really squirrely stuff on the track. And I know, you know, Baku, we had a gut reaction of like, why would he be holding up Albon? But like he was holding up everyone behind him because they were potentially going to knock him out. And he was checking his mirrors. He checked his mirrors, I think, like 14. If you watch the Julian Palmer analysis, he checks his mirrors 14 times on a flying lap in Q2, which is like the most ridiculous thing. Why are you checking your mirrors if you're on a flying lap? He asked his race engineer back in Baku, you know, how many of the guys were able to start their flying laps. So like he's being really cheeky and you know what this five second time penalty, it's about damn time because he's, he's been driving a little bit on the limits and I'm glad the FIA has finally said, Hey, cut it out. Yeah. He's been pushing, he's been pushing the edge uh, as far as uh, the rules are concerned. And as far as driving is concerned too. Uh, I, for one am in favor of Fernando Alonso continuing to be cheeky. Um, I kind of, I kind of like, no, no, fuck you guys. I like the narrative of him being a wily old veteran and like, just like leaving it all on the track. What's he got to lose? If he has a five second penalty, he's 41 years old. He's not going to challenge for a championship anytime soon. I mean, Matt, he to lose. He Matt, I totally, I totally agreed with you, Matt. I think it's, it's Bush league, what he's been doing and I'm sick of it. And it's just dumb. It's like, just stop, you know, it, it's not even, he's not even like flying close to it. He's just like breaking rules and he's, he's acting like an asshole out there and he thinks he can get away with it because he's this legend of the game. Um, so I agree, Matt. I was very happy to see that he finally got penalized for one of, one of these moves. But uh, apart from can- weaving on the, on the, on the straight, I think that's what the penalty was for. 
what rules has he broken? He hasn't Matt driven. Just, Matt literally just laid out an exact scenario Dude, of what the, he should have penalized last week. His qualifying in Baku was a very clear. He was what driving he did, way too what slow. What he did in Monaco, I know it wasn't against the rules, but it was Bush League. We all know it. He's, to this he's, way, been, he's been Bush League all year. After every single race for the past three races for Canada, Baku, Monaco, Fernando Alonso driving on track has been a storyline of what the hell is he doing holding up the pack. And if you want me to go back and pull the tape, Steph, now, you even said after Monaco that Alonso was asked about holding up Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, and he gave a little bit of a smirk like, yeah, it wasn't that hard to do. And then we saw with Albon and Baku, Albon freaked out on the radio, and he's like, he was doing it all all race. He was under braking. Uh, Julian Palmer had an entire segment on that. He was like, he was under braking. He was checking his mirrors. When we have another time penalty, you know what? And you said, what does it matter? It cost his team four points compared to the Alfa Romeos. And that was an eight point swing for them compared to Alfa Romeo. They're only six points away in the constructors. So what did it cost them? Maybe the fifth or sixth spot in the constructors, which if you go back Alpine and also why are you weaving on the straights, man? Like you were, you were clearly ahead. You don't need to be doing that. And that is dangerous driving. And you know what? Like, I don't, I don't know. There's no room for it in this sport for me to do that stuff. You can call him a wily old vet, but being old doesn't give you an excuse to drive like an asshole. Like Sam said, I guess you have a point, but being wily does. It's yeah, not I mean, even wily though. He's just breaking the rules. I'll put you this way. If, if Max had done the exact same thing, you guys would burn. Not necessarily Sam, because I think he's a side mover. But if Max did the exact same thing against Charles Leclerc, Stefano, you would be absolutely lampooning him right now and saying he should be getting points on his license and he should have been waved the black and white flag and like, or sorry, the black flag and all that stuff. Like you would have been all over him if it was the other. But because it's Fernando Alonso, it's like the old, it's like your old grandfather who's stealing from like the local corner stores. Like, ah, don't worry about it. He's just old. Like, the don't worry yeah, about that, that's guys. What like, it is. He's still breaking the rules. Like, give me a freaking break. Yeah, but he's old. He can he can get away with it. Yeah, he is old. I guess not he anymore. can. Not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. But no, I mean, to go back to the race, you know, Verstappen just looked like absolutely on peak form. He was in clear air pretty much the entire race. Uh, I know that he pitted under the virtual safety car, made a, um, a strategy call. Guys, it came down to the last 15 laps, and it was an intense 15 laps. As a Verstappen guy, I was holding my breath. Carlos Sainz seemed to be within DRS range for the entirety. I think it was more of like 14 out of 15 had- laps. If there was one lap, he wasn't within DRS range. Yeah, just one lap, he wasn't in DRS range. Ferrari, what the hell are they doing not putting him on medium tires with like 16 laps to go? I think... I don't understand it because they said, oh, at the time, like, like signs like, oh, we thought that there was going to be more racing laps under the safety car. Like we ended up having less and we we put on the mediums. We thought we were going to run out of if you get put on the mediums and you run out of tires with two laps to go. Max is still on aged hearts. What are they doing? I don't get it. What was Ferrari doing? Is that another Sam? Is that another strategy blunder from these guys? Like, are you chalk that up to the Ferrari guys, or is this like, are you losing faith in Carlos Sainz? Which one is it? And like, it's got to be uh, so, the meme of you with the button. So yeah, I think in hindsight, I think you're right. I think they made the wrong call, not not going with the mediums there. But I'm starting to kind of formulate a theory here that they played the whole entire situation conservatively on purpose on Sunday, and I think. Everything sort of changed for them when Checo went out. When he DNF'd, it was like, oh, okay, 
we can come out of this weekend with net points. And I think from that point on, it was sort of like, let's make sure we, we get Carlos through the race in P2, like play it safe, make sure that he, he finishes, nothing weird happens and let's get Chuck as high as he possibly can. And if they can do that, we can come out with net points. And I think if you were to ask him, if they'd take that on Friday afternoon, they would have been through the moon with it. So I'm sort of feeling like they played the whole situation as conservatively as they possibly could to make sure that they really limited the damage and even came out with points, which they did. So it's like, I, I really feel two ways about it. I, I think signs had a good weekend, but like he should have won the damn race. And, and I'm starting to wonder if he's got the balls to win a race because he might not get a better opportunity than what he had. And even on those tires, even on the hards, he should have still won. He should have still won the race. He just couldn't close. And I guarantee, I guarantee if Chuck was in that seat, in that spot, Chuck wins that race. Chuck definitely wins that race. He catches Max. He passes him. He wins that race. And Signs just didn't have the dick to so, do it, which is so which Sam, a bummer. Do you think Ferrari was playing it safe and putting it on putting him on hards for the end of the race to secure like a P2 net points finish because they have no faith in Signs? Yes, yes, yes. And they're thinking we had yeah, no no faith in him. We we've seen him screw up royal royal this year, and then all of a sudden you have a chance to get net points. You put him on mediums, he pushes the limits and goes off the track, and you end up with just a, a P5 finish, and that's it instead of P2 and P5. So I, I think you're spot on, Stefano. I think that it was a a call, a conservative call, because science hasn't shown this year that he's capable of performing under pressure and coming through. I yeah. mean, I kind of agree with you, but I think I think his fight with Max, even though he didn't he wasn't able to overtake him, I think it shows that he has, you know, a little bit of grit uh between his teeth. I didn't think uh, that I didn't think that fight was as close oh, as you guys did. I didn't take I, mean, I didn't I didn't walk away from that race at all that Carlos Sainz had grit. I walked away being like that was a close battle because for some reason Max couldn't shake DRS. But at no point when I rewatched the race was I like Carlos Sainz is going to make a move on them. Like in uh, the yeah, moment, I was I, I, yeah, he in my mind, he never really had a chance to to get him. Like he was close, obviously. But if I was I a Max fan, sector, I would have never thought. I forget that he which was sector he kept blowing, but uh, him and him and Max kept trading sector for sector. As it was far the as hair. Like it was the hair point. It was the hairpin the hair turn pin. that he kept yeah. losing. He kept losing time yeah. on. Dude, him but, and Chuck both kept losing time on the hairpin uh, this past weekend. But I'll I mean, put Chuck this was way. on a slightly different setup than than Carlos. I'll put it to you this way: if Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, George Russell even, or Charles Leclerc is in the exact same situation as Carlos Sainz was, all of them win the race. Agreed. Totally yeah. agree with that. So I totally disagree, Stefano, that he drived with grit. I think he drived like scared. I think he was yeah. like, I can't, if I go for it and I lock up and I lose out P3 to Lewis Hamilton, like that, I think he drived nervous. I think he was like, yeah, I want to get as close as possible. But like, I mean, Chuck overtook both Alpines into the hairpin. Like from, yeah, from the but 19th, at the same time, when was Carlos even close enough to overtake Max in the hairpin? That's the point, though, because he was driving all those sectors to your point, trading sectors back and forth. 
with, I mean, he was in 15 laps within DRS range of Max Verstappen. And I know that the Red Bull is super quick down the straights, but we've been talking on this podcast about how Ferrari is the faster car. And if they're in DRS range, they should be overtaking that Red Bull. They're, they're just as fast. So it's, and it was a triple yeah. DRS. It was, yeah. or it was a double DRS down that straight because they go into the chicane and then they come out of the chicane and they get DRS again down the straight. And Ferrari is supposed to be the better cornering car. So sector two, he should have been, he should have been come out of turn one, five tenths behind Max trying to, then he has DRS again, and he should have stayed within five, maybe even gotten four or three tenths closer, chip away at a tenth in sector two, and then he comes back down the straight and he's within two second point two coming down the straights again. He never was even within a car length to make a lunge. I want to go back. Laps. I want to go back and listen to Steins' onboard because it, like thinking back on it, it just honestly felt like they probably weren't pushing him to try to make a move and, and get him to close the I gap. I heard a and single radio him. message from Ferrari to Science now that you mentioned that during that whole 15-lap shootout. Not only all of that, he's on newer, fresher tires by six laps. True. That's, so dude, that, goes that's why they didn't put on him on mediums. That's why they didn't put him on mediums because he should have been able to overtake him with the hards having exactly. fresher tires. I agree. Even in the moment, though, I think we were I think we were texting back and forth like, why isn't Science on the mediums? Why are they putting him back out on hards? There's 15 laps left of the race, 20 laps left of the race. Whenever he pitted for the for new tires. Well, to Sam's point, because Verstappen was already on six laps age. So they're like, well, if we put him on the hards and he's been running on the hards all day, like he should be clearly within range coming out of the safety car to overtake yeah, max like, there's 15 laps within dude, DRS he should have won the freaking race like it's just that simple he should have won the race on that on those tires i like sure in hindsight he he maybe should have gone on mediums but i don't even question ferrari's strategy on this no. i like like he's he should have won the race he should have won the race on the on those tires so i don't it think it was the wrong call no i don't either it didn't matter because right max being on hards and you being on newer hards like at that point, it doesn't matter because they're both going to last the distance. So versus the mediums, you actually yeah. do run the gambit of like, oh, by lap 70, maybe I drop off too quickly and I lose a lot of pace. So like, yeah, put on the hard. That is a conservative strategy call, especially when the person you're going to be right behind is on older tires. Like it, not even like one lap old, like six laps aged. And I don't know. I, I don't put that one on the Ferrari strategy team whatsoever. I guess my question, Sam, you've been saying it all year. I think Carlos Sainz is going to win a race this year. Are you still on that train? This is really the first time like he's been, he's been bad at times this year, but this is really the first time that I had to question my whole Carlos Sainz is going to win a race this year. Take like, I, I really don't feel good about it after this race. Now it could go, it, there could be it could go two different ways. He could kind of go in a direction where, wow, I just, I smelt it. I was there. Um, I, I was, I was close and kind of take that as a way to up his game and, and close out the next one. Or, I mean, you could look at it in a way of, he's not going to get a better chance than that to win. And when he, if he, if he does win a race, it's going to have to come through some situation like that because he's rarely, if ever going to be faster than his own teammate. And he's rarely, if ever going to be faster than max. Right. So he's going to need something like this to happen, like on what happened on Sunday. And the stars aligned for him. Like it was put on a platter for him to go win that race and he didn't do it. So if he couldn't close that one out, um, my confidence is definitely waning on his ability to close out a race the rest of the I'll year. I'll put it so, this way. Yeah. 
I I think Carlos Sainz. I agree with you. At it's it's mathematically almost impossible for him to not win a race this year. I do think Carlos Sainz will win a race this year. But I do too. I'm not giving it up. But Carlos Sainz is going to win a race this year. But it won't be on his own merit. It'll be oh. like a like it'll be like a double DNF for Red Bull, or it'll be a situation like this past weekend where Checo maybe takes an engine penalty and Max has a reliability concern, or Max has to take an engine penalty and start from the back of the grid, and Leclerc has an a reliability. Like I do think Carlos Sainz are gonna win a race this year, but if you put a quick Ferrari up against a quick Red Bull, it's gonna be Leclerc every time over Sainz. And after what we just watched this past weekend, like how would Verstappen ever feel like pressure from signs? He's going to walk away and be like, you literally couldn't even pass me. So like, I just don't think it'll be on merit because if any time was going to happen, should have been right then and there safety car with 15 laps ago and you go into the pitch and you're starting right behind Max Verstappen. Like how that is your didn't opportunity. He didn't even challenge him on the rolling restart either. It's like, he just, he didn't have the guts. That was his only shot. Think about think about what you just said. You said it already. He was on a silver platter. A safety car with 15 laps and you're on new tires. Yeah, and, and I honestly, think the Ferrari, I think the Ferrari pit crew, even the uh, the pit lane said, This is the safety car window. We have to push. And under the safety car, he didn't even challenge when the race restarted when there was green no, flags again. But not no only that, before whatsoever. the safety car. Before the safety car, Max had to pit to get on newer tires. And I think he was still out ahead of signs by like seven seconds signs was on his second stint he was likely going to have to pit again if he wanted to actually challenge max so they basically he got a free stop because of the safety car and then the eight second gap that max had on him he gave up because of the safety car so it was just like dude you're right behind him and you have 15 laps to go and you're on newer tires and you can't overtake in a ferrari that's supposed to be quicker than the red bull in sector two and you have drs so it's like the straight line speed is neutralized like stay close and he couldn't do it i don't know i'm kind of out on signs uh he's never finished first in his entire career and it doesn't look like he's going to do that anytime soon especially when his teammate is much faster than him because it's getting to the point where like i asked you guys a few weeks ago like do you want signs on your team and i think you said like sure like it's not a big deal like but like i if i'm the ferrari team signs like i said he he did score well but he's a liability for the team he can't he can't be the number one driver he and i think he thinks he still can be and i don't know he he gives me a little bit of concern but drs um sam big question topic for you three drs zones uh not really though two drs detection zones three drs portions of the track i love drs I don't like the double DRS out of a chicane when you have one detection zone. I think that that is a little bit like cheap because we saw so many times guys overtake heading into the chicane, make a move, and then they get DRS when they come out of that chicane. Like, I I love DRS, but like it's starting to get a little bit like silly with how some of these guys are passing and then they've got like free DRS and free air following. Do you think they need to change how they think about DRS on some of these tracks? I think they need to like change the whole active, like the uh, sensor range to activation range. Like, I think, I think that's how you optimize it. I don't like how there's that big of like a, the gap between when it's detected and when it actually is deployed. So I, I think they got to figure that out maybe. Um, but yeah, these, these DRS trains that are forming, it's kind of a bummer. It sucks. So yeah, I don't know. Chuck. Yeah. Yeah. You get caught in that DRS train coming out of the pit. I mean, it just, 
it's yeah, it kind of defeats the purpose of DRS. Um, so they got to figure that out. I think it's a no brainer that they got to figure it out, but it's just a matter of how do you do that? I guess there is growing, uh, growing calls to get rid of DRS entirely. No, uh, nah, I'm out on that veto that hard. I will, I'll stop. I'll say this right now. I will not watch F1 if they, yeah, I, I might be out on F1 if they get rid I'll, of DRS. I'm totally out on F1 without DRS. Anyway, there still is uh, a call to get rid of DRS. Um, you guys are right. I think it'll be pretty boring if they get rid of it because, I mean, where are the overtakes going to come from? You know? They can't. These tar- you'll cars have, you'll, are too big. You, yeah, you'll have, to, you'll have to do a radical redesign of these Formula One cars. Get them, get them a lot smaller than, than how big they are, like you just said, Matt. Uh, and then you have to redesign the arrow completely to get these cars to run even closer to each other in a race than, than they do now. How would you change it, Stefano? God, I, like I just said, you know, make the cars smaller. You're probably going to have to slow the cars down too to make the racing closer than what we're seeing now with the ground effect. You know, I mean, F1 just put in regulations to get cars running closer during a race as it is, and you still need DRS to pass. Um, but like I said, it's going to take a, like a radical, radical redesign. Uh, of these cars and you know that's not like that's not a fix that you're going to see in five years you're probably not going to see it in 10 years time it's going to be like a generational thing here's what i would do i would make drs more powerful like make it like three times as powerful and just make these cars like be able to blow past each other when they're in range I mean, that's so a great like a idea, but like the entire... Exactly. I was going to... Honestly, I was going to suggest a NOS button, Dude, but I don't want to get laughed off the airwaves. The Fast and the Furious Formula One. I mean, they basically sick. have NOS <laughs> We'll introduce with, that to the All-Star game in Monaco. They basically have NOS buttons with ERS. Like, every time yeah, they, like, charge the battery up, they give them, like, a little bit of a boost. Um, it's funny, like, because, like, I feel like the DRS power all comes down to like the the drag the car actually pulls through the track so it's like all setup related too which stinks because like it would be cool if like when you pressed it it like unlocked the engine instead of just like opening the wing because then it becomes down to like you could have drs deploy but if your engine stinks like compared to the red bull or the ferrari like you get like zero benefit because they're just so much faster without drs yeah like what about what about this if you do reverse drs so everyone drives around with the with the wing down, but if you're within range, the car in front of you flap goes up. <laughs> well, I mean, and then and then be... make the car behind make the car behind it make the flap go down. So it's like you know, just make it a very easy overtake. People it's would funny, watch that. People like... would watch that in droves. I love that idea, but like you'd see so many crashes because I'm pretty sure that the rear wing being closed helps with downforce and braking so that cars like stay on track because if you didn't have it, they just like fly all like I'm pretty sure there was a couple like clips from like eight years ago where the wing didn't go down and the car couldn't literally break on track and just like ran into the barrier at like full speed. It'd just be like yeah. constant brake checks. <laughs> it would just be classic into each other. All brake yeah. checks. The, I the just, whole, I the think, whole field would run a lot slower. 
See, so I'm of the opinion, like, I love DRS, but, like, if the track doesn't make sense to have more than one DRS zone, then don't put more than one DRS zone. Like, I'm cool with everything that they've got, and I think it, like, works pretty well. Like, honestly, I would love to see it if they actually expanded it to, like, one and a half seconds behind or, like, two seconds behind. These cars can fall so much closer now that, like, let them go within two seconds of the car ahead of them, right? Like one second is so freaking close. Um, I, I thought that it was a way too close back in the old regulations when you could barely follow in the dirty air. I'm still thinking it's a little bit too, too little of a range. Like being within one second is like two car lengths behind. It's so close. close. Like, so it's like make close. it two seconds because then you get to like, cause then you actually get to catch the car a little bit more and a little bit more and a little yeah, bit more. You can set up like, you can set up like multi-lap strategy overtakes yeah, where you exactly. get closer, you get, you get closer cumulatively over a set of laps. Totally agree. And, and the thing yeah, is though, what just like irritated me was I watched so many times the driver would in that first back straight, He'd make a clean pass, go send it down the inside, get into the chicane, and then he comes out the other side, and he's got DRS ahead of the car he just passed. It's like you just double penalize the car behind. He just got overtaken, and he gets now the car that's ahead of him just got a DRS benefit and blows by him even more. So it's like that gives that person zero yeah, that's opportunity. That's yeah, dumb. it's like they have to change that. Yeah, because like that's what happened there, and I think that's what they were doing in Australia when they were originally going to have four. It was two DRS detection zones. So like I don't. They, so not to keep harping on this, but what's the point of not putting in a third detection for the third it's zone? It's just that chicane is too close for them to do a detection and then give it that. But like. Yeah, it sucks. It's like, then don't put the third DRS piece in there. Like, it's just like Imola is perfect because there's one long DRS and one detection zone. They don't try and like force it in other places. Even Jetta is like good because like three DRSs, but like three detection zones. Like if you pass somebody on DRS one, you can get them. You can swap the DRS. Like it's what you saw it with Charles and, and Max this year. It's like chicken of who's going to enter the DRS detection zone first. Like that's I'd actually rather see that than see somebody overtake and blow by with DRS with nobody ahead of him. It's like stupid, but I'm with you. Like I don't want to harp on it. Um, I saw it with Lewis Hamilton. Like Lewis Hamilton did it, and like. Like I'm, like, it's beneficial. It's fine. I just was like, it seemed cheap. I was just like, damn, that kind of sucks. Like Lewis just literally overtook Ocon, and now he's going by him with DRS. But speaking of Lewis Hamilton, back on the podium, but another little tussle with Kevin Magnussen. It's funny. I just watched the Julian Palmer analysis of Canada. He had such a great line. I have to quote it myself because it was too good. He's like, if you had on your bingo card that Kevin Magnussen and Lewis Hamilton would be battling on track for 2022, you would have been nuts. Like it's true. Cause K Mag wasn't even on the grid and like a Haas battling with a Mercedes on lap one seems like ridiculous. So like something had to happen, but it's another one. And I don't know which way to take it. Like Sam, the Haas, fall from grace over and over and over. They had such a high start to the year and they stink. The whole team kind of stinks. They're an absolute joke. And I've totally cha- changed my tune on them. I was been very nice to them earlier this year and I, I've been rooting for them. Yeah. I wanted Haas to do well this year. And I'm like, oh, they'll turn around. Like, you know, K-Mac had a great first race, some momentum. They suck and I'm sick of them. And I... Every single day that goes by, I want there to be a driver swap with that team more and more. I want to see someone like Danny Ricardo in a Haas. I think they're falling victim to have two having two totally inept drivers. And I'm sorry, Stefano. I know you are a huge Schumacher guy, but Mick is a, is a joke. And I know you're going to say Sunday wasn't his fault. It was reliability, but I don't care. He sucks. And he's not an F1 driver. Um, K-Mag. 
I'm starting to feel the same way about him. I mean, it was that was his fault. What happened on lap one? Um, you know, it could have been avoided if he was a little more careful. And at that point in your race, like played conservatively, like make sure you get out of that lap unscathed. And he didn't. It was a reckless little turn in there and it was his own fault. And I'm just, I'm so sick of talking about these Haas cars and having terrible races because that car, we keep saying it is not that bad. And we saw it in qualifying starting fifth and sixth. like, come on, you guys got to have one car in the points and they couldn't get either. So it was another pathetic showing from the Haas cars this weekend. Surely that guy is not a Schumacher, Sam Bahrain, seventh, 12th on the grid, fifth, 11th finish Australia. 15th, 16th qualifying, 13th, 14th finish. So one place each base, two places each basically. Imola, 8th, 10th, they go backwards, 9-17. 15th, 16th in Miami, 15th, retired. 10th, 8th on the grid, 14th, 17th. They drop four places and nine places. 13th, 15th, Monaco, double retirement. 20th, 16th, Baku, 14th, 15th, uh, 14th retirement. 5th, 6th, 17th, and then another DNF. I'm. I had this question probed for the pair of you on this thing. I'm with you. The Haas has a good car. The drivers have not done well. They've had some mechanical issues. You can't discount that either. At what point does Gunther Steiner get fired from this Haas team? Over the past five years, he has had the worst team on the grid. And then the first year after they have said they forego 2021 development, they finished 19th and 20th every single race with two paid drivers effectively. And then he says, you know what? We got a good car this year. And they come back with Kevin Magnuson and they finished fifth at Bahrain. At what point does Gunther Steiner get held responsible for the performance of this Haas team? It, it feels like he's like Mick Schumacher. He can't get fired. And I don't know why. I don't understand it. When is Gunther Steiner going to finally he's get... he's funny and people on Twitter like like him. And he's this like marketable he... guy. I feel like I he's like the he butt is. end of a joke. Uh, I, yeah, I don't think you can market like a team principal. He doesn't sell merchandise. Who um, does? What? You can, you can you definitely can market I mean, a team he, principal. He, he's the face of that team. Yeah, but who's buying Haas merchandise? Sam did. You did? I did. Yeah, I got a sick Haas shirt. Yeah. You still After have Bahrain, I was I, I was all on the Haas yeah. train. <laughs> I might have to burn it. I mean, like I, I can't be walking around town in a hush shirt these days. I'll get laughed yeah. at. I mean, I think I think you have to change our Twitter background picture because I think that was the Haas car. The in the points boys were Haas guys, and at this point, like we're the no wonder why we're the laughing stock of of this past weekend. We're Haas guys, like, but yeah, you can market the team principal. I suppose, but like not to the extent that you market drive. I'm I'm comparing it to a driver. So to speak, but well, who's who's responsible for this for the Haas performance this year? God, do you lay the blame at Gunter Steiner or at the drivers? That's I don't the know. You tell me. Yeah, no, I'm kind of with Stefano there. I think I don't even think this is Gunther's fault. I think these Why? drivers suck. I think he these drivers suck. drivers. Yeah, I think these drivers suck. Who's responsible for selecting the drivers? Okay, then okay, then that's his fault. Well, yeah, I mean. I think I think what he tried to do was cash in on the uh, marketing gold that is the Schumacher name, without properly like vetting Mick Schumacher. Did I gotta say this: catch my drift. 
I got to say this. We talked about this a lot on the podcast about how marketable Danny Ricardo is whenever I talk about bringing F1 seat and getting him out of F1, how marketable Mick Schumacher is, how marketable Fernando Alonso is, how marketable Sebastian Vettel is, blah, 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 blah. You know what's freaking marketable? Winning. Winning and scoring points is the most marketable thing you can be in Formula One. And if you're not winning, you are not marketable. And that's the take of the decade from the In the Points host, Matt O'Teal. If you want to be marketable, win and score points. Max Verstappen, is he marketable? Yes, he wins. Lewis Hamilton, is he marketable? Yes, he wins. George Russell, is he marketable? Yes, he finishes top five in a shitty Mercedes every single race this year. Sergio Perez, he's become marketable because he can finish up on the podium and in the points. The more you score, the more marketable you become. So yeah, does Schumacher have a name? Should Is he marketable? Sure. Quick one, he gets butts in seats. Absolutely. When Haas is finishing 17th and DNF, 14th and DNF, 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 14th, 17th, 15th, DNF, you're not marketable. You're a joke. Definitely. Let me ask you this question. Go for who's it. Have, who's having a better 2022 F1 season? Nick Latifi or Mick Schumacher? Fuck. That's a question. And it's, uh. it's you know what's pathetic is that we even have to answer this question because that Haas car is like 30 times the car the Williams car is. Dude, who, who has less DNFs, Latifi or, or Schumacher? I think that's the tiebreaker. It's close, man. It's really close. Ah, I, have to look, I have to look that up. Answer but, his I question. Mean, I'll look it up. If, answer his question. Oof. Who's having a better season? God. I think Latifi has less. I think Latifi has less Latifi's DNF. He's got one DNF. One DNF and his average finish is probably 15 and some change. He's got a 16, a DNF, 16, 16, 14, 16, 15, 15, 16. Schumacher's got I'd say three Latifi DNFs. Had a better season. Latifi has had a bet. Nicholas Latifi has had a better season yes. than Mick no Schumacher. No question about it. Looking at these results, there's no question about it. And that yeah. kind of says all that needs to be said about Mick Schumacher and, and, and sitting we, in that house car. We, and we here at In The Points like to really bash Latifi, but we should be we should be focusing more of our ire on Schumacher the Younger. Agreed. Yeah, I think, I think going forward. Lance is having a better season than Mick Schumacher. Well, that's not even like remotely close. He's having like five times a season that I, Mick Schumacher I know, having. but what I'm saying is Mick Schumacher... Michael Schumacher's son in a Ferrari power unit Haas can't beat the shitty Aston Martin, the pick of the car of Lance Stroll. Like, yeah, after starting P6. I'm starting like, here's Sam, you asked this question a while ago. I think you forgot it until I said it right now. I think it's next year. This is the answer to the question. And the question was. When does Andretti Racing get back involved in Formula One? I think Gene Haas sells the team to Andretti Racing, and he totally revamps the entire. Why not? Gene Haas has been be throwing so money down the toilet, and he's been waiting for 2022. And he doesn't have a paid driver of Mazepin to, to pad the stats. He had to pay Kevin Magnuson. Mick Schumacher's not a paid driver. He's been dumping money into the sport, and... If they don't see anything and they end up last on the grid again this year, why would he stick around? There's one person that can turn around that team. It's Michael Andretti. Yeah. Let the let the Andretti boys come in. Let Michael kind of run the show. Let's get a couple Americans in there and let's turn that team around. That would be marketable. 
That Bang. in and of itself, if you turn this into like a pure-blooded American team, do you get American uh, I drivers? I thinking about it. Yes, yes, you get American drivers. Maybe like hundred percent. Jeff Gordon and like Jimmy Johnson or something like that. Hundred percent. Yes. Danica Patrick. Absolutely. Put Danica Patrick in the seat. Just get, like it's super marketable. I mean, honestly, I want to see this now. I want to see Andretti Racing buy the Haas team, the Formula One Haas team, for pennies on the dollar. Get them out of there. Gut the entire shop and push forward and make Haas great again. Do it. If they ever were. But yeah. I'm in. On a realistic note, who do you think would take... Who do you think would take seats at Haas if I, if Andretti uh, takes over and like sacks Magnussen and Schumacher? What do you mean? I think I think Ricardo is really a great name I to drive to drive that car. Totally agree with you, Sam. I, the more and more I thought about it, because like I'm not a big Danny Ricardo guy this year. Like I think he like I like Daniel Ricardo. I think he's like actually like a nice guy. I just think he's driving like a weirdo this year. But I think if there's one thing Americans love, it's Danny Ricardo. And if they Andretti Racing took over Haas and Danny Ricardo was open, they 100% would put him in the car because they because that that's when you need someone marketable. Because at that point, it doesn't become as much about racing on track. A new team needs someone that they can sell merch to. And if they get Danny Ricardo in an Andretti Racing, like imagine just like an all American flag overall. Like every so both their drivers are in in the entire car is just a American flag with like an eagle. I think that I'm getting like the chills thinking about it. Who would you put in it, Stefano? From an American, like I was gonna say, Danny Ricardo in uh, the first seat, and I was gonna go with a younger guy uh, for the second seat. I was gonna go with uh, Teo Porcher. Uh, who is in Formula Two right now, and he's doing pretty well. I think he's in second or third in the standings right now. Um, but you know, if you if if some of the younger guys like Piastri and uh, I forget the other guy's name, Logan Sargent. Yes, I believe I believe so. But uh, those guys are probably going to get snapped up by better teams. Uh, so I think if a seat opens up at Haas next year, Porsche would be a good option for them. Here's what I would do, Matt. I'd go Ricardo seat one, seat two. I go a little outside the box. I go Jarno, Jarno Otmir, our boy. Oh wow, the esports e- esports, e-sports. the esports king. Throw him in the car and let the world see what this guy can do. Why not? What else? What do you have to lose? Why not, man? Honestly, it can't get any worse than Mick Schumacher. So let's give Jarno a shot. It can't get any worse. It, actually. That's not true. We know from 2021, it can get much, much worse than Nick Schumacher. I don't, don't, we are on a track for a Mazepin type season from Schumacher. No. Does Schumacher score a point this year? Yes. Schumacher will score a point this year. If he doesn't, then that is insanely pathetic because the Haas car is good enough to be in the points every week. It's an indictment if he doesn't score. No, Sam, he's not. Uh, he's not Mazepin. I mean, Maz is spin. Like, I'll put it this way. Mick's DNF Sunday wasn't his fault at all. Like, not even remotely close. But that doesn't change. The stats are the stats. And at the end of the day, people aren't going to look back at the history books and remember every single time you had a mechanical failure. They will remember he? every single time that you put your car in the wall this year, which I think is three. I think he did it in Monaco. I think he did it in Jeddah. did it in Baku. 
like pre-race during the race, whatever. But like he's he's coming to the wall. He has hit the wall and had more DNFs than I think he's had like actual finishes. Matt, do you remember where he was running before the DNF in Canada? What do you mean? Like what position he was in? Uh, I think he was. I think he was still up in like the seventh or eighth spot. Like I think this was early, early on in the race because I think this was like lap like twelve or thirteen, and he started sixth. So I think coming out, he actually he got overtaken by Ocon into turn three, and I think he was still running like eighth or ninth um, heading into that. So he was up in the points and. He was 100% like he had like a pretty decent race. I think at that point he was trying to overtake Bottas or, or Joe. I think he actually made the move and then he had like an engine lockup and then that was like his race was over. But he was definitely up in the points. He only lost like a place or two and it was to the Alpines, which you got to tip your cap. It's like if you're going to lose a place, it's going to be to the Alpines. So it's like they yeah. were definitely faster. Yeah, the Alpines have definitely taken the, the best of the rest tag. I disagree. So Mercedes, you know, and this is this is a topic that I've had actually. Mercedes is, in my opinion, right now the best of the rest because it's very clear Ferrari and Red Bull are heads and shoulders above them. Like even in the rolling restart after the safety car, Max and Carlos, I think in 15 laps, put like a five second gap between them and Hamilton. Like it was pretty impressive. But guys, the rest of the field, it's almost like they're giving Mercedes the secure third position. Alfa Romeo, Alpine, McLaren, even Aston Martin. It's like these guys, like Mercedes is so vulnerable and every single one of them is just gifting third position in the constructors to Mercedes. Uh, it's, so, it's like infuriating. Matt, I think, I think it's a product of there's such a giant gap between Ferrari and the teams below Mercedes and Mercedes is filling that gap. I don't think the McLarens and Alpines are even remotely close to the Mercedes on race pace. I think that Mercedes is a solid car and it's just more of a product of Ferrari and Red Bull being like crazy fast and so much ahead of everyone else. Yeah. I think the Mercedes is good enough to not be best of the rest. They're a legitimate challenger despite, you know, the mixed results they've had this season. Um, Legitimate challenger is like a generous, generous, generous. Oh, it's very generous. But, but to your point, four, I don't disagree. They're 40, they're 40 points back on Ferrari for the Constructors' Championship. That's not that much. They're closer to Ferrari than Ferrari is to Red Bull. Yeah. Yes. So, I agree. They are, for as bad of a car as they have, and or not as bad of a car, for as hard of a car as that is for on the drivers to drive with the porpoising and how the lack of pace they have to Red Bull and Ferrari – it's more of, I think you're right, a function of the Red Bull and the Ferrari are heads and shoulders above everyone. And Mercedes is further off of them. Mercedes is still heads and shoulders above the rest of the category. So they're kind of in a league of their own right now. But yeah, they've they've hung around. And like I view it as though like this was the opportunity for teams that once couldn't compete with Mercedes to compete with Mercedes. And they can't do it. And it's like Mercedes just has that pedigree of like winning and they're going to be solid even like even in the worst season they've ever had. To your point, they're 40 points out of second place for the constructors. Like and this is probably the worst season they've had in a decade. And they're still right up there in the mix to your point with a car that like is virtually undrivable and lacks pace. Yeah, I mean, it helps that they have some damn good drivers too. Yeah, they have I two mean, great drivers. Unbelievable. Helps. You have you have 
potentially one of the best drivers of all time in Lewis Hamilton. And I'm, I'm sticking with my claim that George Russell is a future world champion because uh, he's that good of a driver. He will win a world championship. If, yeah. I'll put it this way. If George Russell was in last year's Mercedes, he would be right up there probably have competed with Lewis and Max every single race. He's a very good driver. Yeah, probably would have been one, two, three. You know, pick whatever driver between Max, Lewis, and George last year. Hey guys, last last topic for us. What hell? What the hell happened to McLaren? What happened to Lando Norris this weekend? Just a oh, nightmare man. weekend for McLaren. Yeah, uh, I think Lando had some issue. Didn't he had some something with the car? How are you not holding that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Danny Ricardo reverted back to uh, 2022 form. Uh, with an what is it like a P12 or something like that? Yeah, he finished. Uh, he finished 11th, just ahead of Sebastian Vettel and Alexander Albon in the Williams. Yeah, so I mean, he went right back to the Daniel Ricardo of 2022, finishing outside of the points. Yep. After a promising race in Baku, which was disappointing, uh, I was especially taken aback by the fact that Daniel Ricardo let Lance Stroll finish ahead of him for that last world championship point in 10th place. Um, but, you know, like you said, he's been driving really weird all year. Very uh, weird. Yeah, very on Danny Ricardo, or I should say very Danny Ricardo-esque as of late. Um, it's becoming very Danny Ricardo-esque because he was, he was the fucking quick back in the day. He was. Um, but yeah, this is what it's this is what it's come to now. You know, Daniel Ricardo finishing outside of the points, going, yeah, you know, it's been a real disappointing year. I nice. mean, how you, long you worked really long? hard on that accent all week, didn't you? Just for the podcast. That was top of the dome, dude. Don't even wow. don't insult me like that. Uh, McLaren, yeah, uh, it's really disappointing to see him. McLaren is kind of weirdly flying under the radar with how they're having such a poor season. I think if you were to like look like based off of what we thought was going to happen at the beginning of the season, they might be the biggest surprise on how like little amount of points they have. Like yeah. I thought for sure that they would be, I mean, not for sure, but like there was so much talk about them, like definitely be fighting for that third spot. Um, Sam, to put it into perspective, they're 120 points back on Mercedes for the third spot. Like they're, if they're not careful, they could finish the season like seventh. Like or yeah, sixth, sixth, yeah. Like behind Alfa Romeo and Alpine, like like those two cars. Even Alfa Tauri I mean, could, yeah. could could yeah. put some could put some races together. Pierre Gasly is racing well this year. Yeah, it's just not a good car. Yeah, McLaren. Honestly, like poor Lando. He's quick and he's done the best he can with that McLaren. It's a it's a it's a it's a rough car. I won't say too much more about that. We've, we've got some potential uh, friends at McLaren that might be might be joining our podcast if they're listening in. Don't want to talk too ill of them. Um, but yeah, it, Sam, to your point, we thought they were going to be we thought there was going to be a three way battle for first between Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes. We still might get that. Mercedes is like a, they, they have a good week at Silverstone. They could be right back in the mix and double DNF from Red Bull and it bunches them back up again. But that was we thought McLaren was going to be in there and they're eight points ahead of Alpine. And then they're only 14 points ahead of Alfa Romeo, 65 points, 57 points, 51 points. So any one of those three could be up to fourth. I think it's a remote shot that they end up in third. For that Mercedes is just reliable and those drivers are too good. No, they're they, not finishing third. 
they're yeah. they they are nowhere near being able to compete with Mercedes on a on a race to uh, race to race basis. At this point in the season, too, I feel very comfortable saying the top three places are locked in terms of like who is in them. So like Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes are going to be one through three. It's some combination of them. I'm not saying it is Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, but one of those, those three teams will be the top three teams in some combination. That's, that's it. Mercedes is the most reliable car on the grid right now. So it's yeah. like, they're not giving up third place. No, absolutely. It doesn't break. No, it's very reliable. And so yeah. now it's a battle for fourth, in my opinion, between, Alphatari, Alfa Romeo, Alpine, and McLaren, the AAA boys and the M's. But um, yeah, I mean, Alfa Romeo, shout out, uh, Vita Marina will be uh, airing our Alfa Romeo interview, um, hopefully the week leading up to Silverstone. Silverstone is going to be an exciting week. I can't wait. I'm a huge fan of Silverstone. We'll do that in uh, next week's episode too. Hopefully Lando has a good car so he can give the home crowd some some show. Um, we got both... British drivers in the Mercedes. Um, hopefully, like I said, Mercedes is going to win a race. That's yeah, going to be it. Could be. Mm. Could be. It's a very nice fast, te- nice flowy tease. circuit. Very fast, flowy circuit. But yeah. guys, um, yeah, I mean, Canada, fun race. It was a little bit interesting to see. We're kind of getting to the point this season now where like these top drivers have to take some engine penalties, and we get to see them work their way through the field. Charles Leclerc. We even overshadowed him on the podcast. It's a hell of a drive. P19 to fifth. Great drive. That he got overshadowed drive. on the broadcast. He got overshadowed here a little bit today. But, like, he's he's so good, man. He's so good. Yeah. It's a shame that he wasn't up there fighting Max Verstappen. But for another race, I suppose. For another race. Yeah. Guys, hell of a week. Um, looking forward to Silverstone. Preview next week. Um, yeah. Canada. Recap. Gilles Villeneuve. That's, a, that's an episode. That's a wrap for us on today's episode of In The Points. Tune in next week as we turn to one of the most favorite, including the In The Points favorite circuits, Silverstone. Can Ferrari chip away some more at that Red Bull lead? Will Max Verstappen come to blows with Lewis Hamilton again like last year into Cobbs? And which British driver will be the local hero? Please like, subscribe, and smash all those bells and whistles so you never miss the hottest Formula One takes in the business. And tune in next Wednesday for our Silverstone race preview and a special guest exclusive interview with Alfa Romeo's very own Vita Marina. Tune in next Wednesday for an episode that you will not want to miss, as well as on our YouTube channel where we have all of our videos, including Sam's bets. Thanks all for listening, and as always, stay out of that dirty air and keep pushing. I got my first real six string.